to the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich DeCray, I'm Matt Hofeld, and we have got a packed episode for you this go around. Um, we're going to give you a quick recruiting update to two players that we want you to know for the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, well, hopefully Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, Neville Gallimore seems Sooners. to be... Sooners. What are that? What are that? Totally sounded like singers. Singers? Oklahoma singer? There are some pretty good Oklahoma singers out there. Yeah, but we don't need to name them. Garth Brooks? That's not what this show's about. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Reba McIntyre? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Who's the guy on The Voice? I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Got me. The country guy. Yeah, I know. Had you not um, asked, man. Had you not asked. That's, wow. This is, well, our opening is blown right now because um, it's going to come to one of us randomly throughout the podcast and we're just going to blurt it, blurt it out. Um, so that sounded like a burp. My bad. Okay. Hey, Neville Gallimore's draft stock is dropping. Um, we're going to talk about... There's a, there's a good reason why. Well, there's never a good reason why, especially when you're looking at dropping in the NFL draft. But there's a understandable reason why his draft stock is dropping. Um, college football season is going to happen. There will be a 2020 college football season. There is a good chance it won't be like what we're familiar with in the past, you know, history of college football. But um, we're going to go over some possibilities, some scenarios for college football. We've got a great guest on this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Joe Pachowski from the Mighty Bruin is going to jump in here and talk with us about Chris Murray. Rich, did you know that Chris does not prefer to be uh, called? He does not prefer to be called Chris. Did you know that Chris Murray, the Oklahoma's newest offensive lineman, no, has a has a different name. Chris is is not his full name, and I will tell you, his full name is not Christopher either, but it's Close to that. Well, <laughs> Joe's going to fill us in on that as well as give us low down Theo Howard. What is Oklahoma getting from these guys? Mike Gundy did the unthinkable. He had an, an idea beyond COVID-19, and that caused a lot of controversy. And um, if we have time, if we have time to get to it, we've talked about these top sporting events, Oklahoma-related Oklahoma sporting events, that we would take into our COVID bunker. What are the top movies we would take into the COVID bunker? We're going to jump into that. It's got to be sports movies, though. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This is the Sooner Nation Podcast. We're glad you're here with us. Let's start with our, some recruiting update. Um, Ishmael Ibrahim, the uh, number nine cornerback in the 2021 recruiting class, I mean, across the board, nation's ninth-ranked corner, has released his top 10, and Oklahoma is involved in that top 10. In fact, Oklahoma is the only non-SEC school to be involved in his top 10. Um a 6'1", 175, a four-star recruit from the Dallas, Texas area. I, I mean, I love that Alex Grinch is going after these big guys. I, I mean, that they're long arms, they're tall, but they're fast. If you if you watch Ibrahim's tape, this kid can scoot. He's physical. He knows how to position his body. Great hip movement, but again, the arms. I love what he does with his arms. I don't know if Oklahoma's going to get him, but I I love the model that you see Alex Grinch going after these guys. And uh, he's one that I do think Oklahoma has a chance. I think there's a reason why there's only one Big 12 school left uh, for him. And I may have spoken out of turn when I said the only non-SEC school. I believe um, there's – I think I think TCU is in on him and so forth because he's from the Dallas area. There's another kid uh, that announced – I'll look him up here in just a second. There's another kid that announced his uh, final – five final six or whatever it was this last week. And he's the one that Oklahoma was the only non sec school in on. But this Ibrahim kid, again, you, you got to like what you're seeing. Um, and you got to like the idea of what Alex Grinch is doing, going after these taller kids. Latrell McCutcheon is the one I was thinking about was the only, uh, only big 12 school to in on him. His, his top 10, um, was Ohio State, USC, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Florida State, and Virginia Tech. Latrell McCutcheon, another big-bodied, tall kid, 6'1", 176. And so he's, he's a kid that uh, it's, the new, it's the new norm for, for Alex Grinch. So what are your thoughts there, Rich, um, on, on the way Grinch is going after these taller corners like McCutcheon and like Ibrahim? It's definitely a welcome sight. It's one of the things that we've continuously hit on that's been a major need for this program over a larger period of time than we may actually 
like to admit. Now, there have been some very skilled players come through, whether that's at safety, whether that's at corner, whether that's at nickel. There have been some very skilled players, some very skilled recruits. It's just been a thing of the evolution of the game seems to have required something different. And Oklahoma has struggled to to solve that riddle under previous defensive coordinators. No that's no slight to any of the names that have come before. Oh, Alex I, I think you can, I think you can make a, uh, a knock against Mike Stoops and, and people wouldn't get terribly upset with you. Yeah. And, and, and that's a okay. Um, but to the point here is that Alex Grinch clearly has a plan. He, he clearly has a direction that he wants to take this defense. And part of that plan is players like you've mentioned, Jordan Mukes being that first commitment who is, quite tall for the position that he plays in high school in terms of a prototypical size. Yeah. yeah and, and he's going to, he's not going to play corner in, in right. college. We, but we yeah. talked about yeah. last week, him potentially switching over to the safety position. But when I'm looking at what Alex Grinch is doing specifically on the recruiting landscape, is he saying we've struggled at Oklahoma historically looking at previous tape? Cause I'm sure he's done it has said when bigger receivers tend to match up with anyone in the secondary They've had their way. I, and I don't care what program, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas, it doesn't matter. The bigger receivers have had their way, as have mobile quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we're starting to see those address uh, those issues addressed head-on instead of trying to circumvent them. And I think a big part of that is bringing in these lengthy but rangy players who are quick and, and have good natural instincts to actually move towards the ball, regardless if it's in the air at that point or not. Yeah. And in McCutcheon and Abraham, both, you know, they, they both fit that bill. Exactly what you're talking about. Now I messed them up. I got them, I got them turned around on their, on their, on their final 10. I, I, I read McCutcheon's just a second ago. Abraham's final 10 are Alabama, Auburn, Baylor, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, and Texas A&M. The Sooners, they're making good inroads with uh, with what they want to do to overhaul and and look not not every not every kid who includes Oklahoma in their top ten or their top five or their top four they're not always going to pick Oklahoma but the fact that that Alex Grinch is making the inroads and making an impression with some of these guys is a is a sign of progress and like what you're saying is letting you know that this thing is moving in the direction that Grinch wants it to move in he he has said. I want to transition what we have to what my vision is. And my vision is tall guys. And that's what you're seeing happen. And and people are buying into it. Um, a ton of offers also have gone out this week for the University yeah, of Oklahoma. That you're not kidding about. Um, one, one guy that I, I want to point out is uh, Raheem Sanders. He's only a three-star recruit and he's, he's an athlete. Uh, he's, not, um, he's not listed as at any particular position. But do you want to guess... You want to guess how many scholarship offers this kid has? A three-star recruit listed as an athlete. By his own admission, he has no idea what position he's going to play in college. And the positions range from receiver to running back to linebacker to defensive end. He has no idea. He says, guys, colleges are just recruiting me as an athlete. So you want to guess how many scholarships? Three I stars. I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say 10 based upon the information you've given. Well, Oklahoma offered him. We're recording this on Thursday, April 9th. Oklahoma offered him today. Oklahoma was his 32nd scholarship offer. This kid will not be a three-star much longer. If he gets to have a senior season, he's going to get elevated to a four-star because when you look at the quality of the scholarships that are coming in on him – you know, it's, it's again, it's the SEC. It, it all, I mean, Power Five schools are in on him across and, the board. And here's what you, speaking of him specifically, what you have to love is that versatility. What coach wouldn't like to have a player who ultimately could play any of those positions at the Division One level? Mm-hmm. It really reminds me of Gary Patterson and the way that he recruits. Is he'll recruit players as an athlete. And once he gets them on campus and can do, I guess, a little more in-depth, in-person evaluation, right. assigns a position. And it, it's worked out exceptionally well for a guy like Patterson well, over the years. And that's one thing that's been kind of detrimental to a guy like Sanders. He's got the 30-plus scholarship offers, but because of the COVID-19 crisis, he's not been able to get out in the spring 
and make those visits that he had intended to. But but listen to his size, Rich. He's 6'2", 210 pounds. And he's a wide receiver. And he's a running back. And he's a linebacker. And he's a defensive end. Listen, that, the, I'm, <laughs> I see he, him easily fitting height, weight, easily. That That's linebacker numbers. No, nah, see, I got, I got a position for him. I mean, I, I get it. it. You're right. Listen to the – okay, defensive stats. You said linebacker. Last season, he only played defense in four games because even his high school coaches, I feel like they're like, where can we put him that works? Everywhere. I mean, you're, you can't, even at the high school level, you can't play every, everywhere, you know? But they're like, where can we put it? So they did four games. Four games he played defense last year as a junior in high school. In those four games, 17, sack, 17 tackles, six sacks in four games. So as a receiver, he caught 15 passes for 368 yards and two touchdowns. He's got deceptive speed. Do you know where this kid needs to be? No, but go ahead and tell me. He's the next Jeremiah Hall, that H-back position. He's not quite a tight end. He's not quite a running back. He's right in between, and he's going to kill you on the seam. That, that's where I see him Which playing. is crazy, and, and it's because of – let me back up here a little bit. What we've seen under Lincoln Riley has been an inclusion and the development of that H-back position, so much so that it's taken on a new role, or it's – Life has been breathed back into it at the University of Oklahoma. And if that's what Oklahoma's thinking, I have to say on the offensive side of the ball, the opportunity to work with Lincoln Riley, but also to be this versatile linchpin that can make things go has to be a desirable spot to be in. Yeah. And I'm glad you said brings it back to life because a lot of people will remember Josh Norman, uh, particularly in that 2000 national championship season. That guy was incredible because he he was the original h-back um in this new era of bob stoops beyond football and i and again you've seen jeremiah hall excelling that right now he's going to have a big season uh when the 2020 season finally does get started um now here's the thing with sanders he is a slight lean right now towards florida state and i think the reason why is because florida state's he, he's a florida kid and florida state's one of the visits he was able to make before the dead period started and so it just makes sense Oklahoma we, we talked about Oklahoma having guys in like Caleb Williams and so forth um the Wheaton kid all that happening before the COVID crisis shut everything down and how that's a benefit for Oklahoma well in, in a situation like the Sanders kid it's a big benefit for Florida State but I think if Oklahoma can get their hands on him like you're saying get him on campus get him in the film room show a video of a Jeremiah Hall, or he could be an oboe type guy. I mean, six sacks in four games showing more. Here's where we could use you. You again, I, I like what Oklahoma's doing recruiting wise. And I, I, there's, there's very few staffs right now that I would put on par with Oklahoma that where you say, Oh, you know, for example, Dabo Sweeney's recruiting him. That concerns me, you know. Um, you know, there there are very few staffs along those lines where I think, man, they can they can recruit right there along with what Lincoln Riley's doing, but there's not very many. And so I think if Lincoln Riley could get his hands on a kid and have him on campus, Oklahoma's gonna be one of the front runners. That's just me. So that's a quick recruiting update. Anything you want to add to it? No, not at all. Because um, we could we could literally do an, an hour long podcast right. on the number of offers that went out right. this week. The, what's and and that's the only thing that I really wanted to hit on. This is supposed to be this recruiting dead period where a lot of restrictions have been put on what you can and can't do, and it's not consistent from conference to conference. I feel like more so with the players that are already on campus. But needless to say, we're supposed to have this recruiting dead period, and then I pull up. Just the number of offers that have gone out. And th this isn't even a full count of it, but I counted eight went out on the eighth. Surprise, surprise. And then three more have gone out here on the ninth. So we're, we're up to 11 over the past two days. If anyone thought that these coaching staffs were taking a day off, they've been completely misled. It's going to be an interesting ride, though. But, Matt, the one thing that we're, we're most concerned about is obviously Caleb Williams. So I'm always going to point back mm -hmm. to Caleb Williams and, and the entourage that we're expecting him to land on campus with, regardless of if that's Oklahoma, LSU, or Maryland. Let's stick with Oklahoma, though, okay? <laughs> 
All right, Neville Gallimore's draft stock is dropping. And if we do have a college football season, which we will, what's it going to look like? Let's talk about that. You know, a month and a half ago, we thought that Neville Gallimore was going to be a first-round NFL draft pick. Oh, you're pointing me. I thought that. You're saying you never thought that. Is that is that what I'm getting? I, I'm not saying that I never thought that. I, I thought the potential was there for Neville Gallimore. But if we go back and we actually listen to our projections, I said a lot of things about based upon need. That that was the phrase uh-huh. that I used, as well as these skill position players being very high, very highly sought after. This year, which I thought would drive the a guy like a Neville Gallimore down and out of the first round. Well, and turns out you were you were you're a Nostradamus type guy because I think that's exactly what the problem is. A lot of people are pushing Neville back to the second or even the third round. It's not because he's it's not because he had a bad NFL draft combine or a bad pro day, but it, to me, what it boils down to is need. I think Neville's a top five defensive tackle in this draft. Honestly, I think I, I would put him as a top three defensive tackle in this draft. I'd take the Brown kid from Auburn, and I can't remember, the Kinlaw, the kid from South Carolina. I, I think I would take them as the top two defensive tackles. But here's the problem that Neville Gallimore is going to be, uh, is, is experienced. And even if he is the top three, which I think it's it's pretty dang close between him and, and uh, the, the kid out of TCU, Blacklock, um, once you get past, once you get into like the – the 10 to 15 range of the NFL draft, there's not a great need for defensive tackle, which is exactly what you were saying. And if he's not going to go top 10, which I don't think he is because those other guys I mentioned are going to go ahead of him in the top 10, that just drops him down. Just like, again, exactly as you said, based (laughs) off of need, that drops him down into the second or maybe even the third round. I had no idea that that you were going to say these specific talking points as it pertains to Neville Gallimore, because you and I had a conversation just very briefly before we started recording this podcast. And I was saying, Hey, you got this. It's all you. I can't remember what information we had last week. And here we are sitting on the same page. So surprise, surprise. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about the college football season as a whole. I think across the board, there's skepticism because there's still, and I'm, I'm using this word intentionally, and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but there's still a lot of paranoia out there because it's, it's, it's brought on by uncertainty. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what to expect. It, is it safe to go outside and check the mail? <laughs> you know, is it, I, I'm out of milk. Can I go to Brahms? Can I go to the store? There, there's just so much uncertainty right now, and that creates this paranoia of are, are we going to have life as, <laughs> as we're used to it? And part of that, a big part of that is sports and college football. Here's here's what it comes down to. People get mad about this. And and I think maybe rightfully so, they get irritated by it. But what it comes down to is the dollar signs. Mm -hmm. You have to have a college football season. Because like like at at the University of Oklahoma, um, I was talking to a guy this last week and he was telling me big storylines from the University of Oklahoma. Hey, you know, you know, baseball got canceled and you know, Jalen Hurts, you know, he, uh, he could be the second round draft pick. And you know about, you know, he talked about Chris Murray transfer. He knew all these things, but I was like, did you know that at the University of Oklahoma, that softball is actually a bigger deal than baseball? Softball outdraws baseball, you know, softball, people talk more softball at the University of Oklahoma. Do they do baseball? He's like, really? But baseball, and he could even tell me baseball is 14 and four on the season. He knows all these things. He's not an Oklahoma fan, but he knows he just because he's a sports junkie. But when you look at these other sports, now Oklahoma softball generates revenue. It would not be in danger. Don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But you move to a school like Kansas, you move to a school like Texas Tech, you move to a school, maybe even Oklahoma State, where their softball program is not one of the top four programs in the nation, and you take away football, then how are you going to fund softball? A legitimate question for the University of Oklahoma is, how are you going to fund gymnastics? How are you going to fund tennis? How are you going to fund golf? Because all of that comes out of the football budget, and there are athletic directors across the nation going, guys, if we want to keep jobs, and if we want to keep student athletes on scholarship, then then we got to have a football season. And that's what it's going to boil down to. By the way, uh, I don't know if you heard this or not. This, If you haven't heard this, this is going to maybe shock you a little bit because 
It's a team that we covered last season. Do you know about Wisconsin softball? I don't. Wisconsin is the first power five program to tell their spring athletes, hey, um, thanks, but no thanks. We don't really want you back in 2021. So they're seniors. I'm dead serious. So I think there's so, four four softball players from a team that made it into the NCAA tournament into this. Was it the? I know. I can't remember if we covered them, the regional or the super regional. It was re. You say that and no, you, you got I think me it was Northwestern in the super regional. That's what I wanted um, to say. But still, they're saying to those those seniors. Was Wisconsin handed Oklahoma a loss last year at yeah, regional? Play. Well, they're they're saying to those seniors. You gotta if you want to play again, you gotta find someplace else. We don't want you back. Can you believe that? And but again, it goes back to the paranoia and the uncertainty. What's gonna happen? Yeah, and and that's just absolutely bonkers to me. Why? Because no one really knows what the consequences will be of retaining those seniors. Nobody knows how the scholarships are going to be divvied up. No one, no one has answers to these. I think there are things that people are talking about. I think there are things that the powers that be, whether that's the conference commissioners, whether that's the NCAA itself, trying to decide a blanket rule on how to handle specifically when we look at softball, Oklahoma's got four seniors who all decided we're coming back for four. Or was it three? We're all coming back. It's four for baseball. It's seven three, for baseball. Seven, seven for, baseball. for baseball, three for softball. Shannon Sale, G. Juarez, and Nicole Mendez. We've got these players. Seven for baseball, man. Let's just talk about that. How is that going to shake up the allotted scholarships? Because you are given a specific amount for each in every program for each and every season, and you can't go over that number. Well, How- you're right, and but and, and it's a thing though where I think you have to, in my opinion, you reward loyalty. No, I- let, let, let's say let's say there's some some girl. Let let let's say Nicole Mendez. Okay, I only got to see her play two times this season because she was recovering from mm. a, a ACL injury. And you got to see the, the possibly the be- best game that she's played of her career. Okay. It, yes. But let, let's say she's not a, let's say she's not the player that we, we know her to be through the first three years. Let's say she's just a role player. It's her, somebody who just comes in off the bench every now and then to be a pinch runner and so forth. I feel like she still deserves that opportunity. Now, Wisconsin is saying you don't. Des- it's not that you don't deserve the opportunity. You're just not going to get that opportunity right here. Now, so if, if a Nicole Mendez type player was on the free market transfer portal, hello, you're you're going to look at schools like you know that were just a couple players away. You know we we've talked about Oregon, we've talked about Arizona State, and so forth. So across the board, I think we're going to see this affect sports down the line, and it comes right. back to football. What is football going to look like? Now, we know that admittedly for us, the best case scenario is this thing kicks off, you know, first of September and you go on a normal season. And I don't think that scenario is off the table at this point. I think it's close to the edge of the table, but it's not off the table. And then you've heard the scenarios of, well, you don't, you just, you just lose your non-conference games and you right. play, you play conference, uh, uh, just a conference season. So to me, that's better than no football. But man, I was really looking forward to that OU Army game, West Point. I mean, that's just me. But if if I have to sacrifice OU Army, West Point to get football, I will do that. And then the other opinion, the other scenario, which I think is growing in popularity, is that you move football back to the spring. And so you have a spring season, and you're shaking your head. I am shaking my head, and I'll tell you why here in a second. Okay, you have a spring season, and that that raises a lot of questions, like softball, baseball, you know, basketball is going into their tournament. So what what happens when you have to when you have to there have it is. <laughs> what happens when you have to run March Madness up against OU Texas? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that there's there's conundrums across the board. So it all comes back to and now I'm gonna I'm gonna let you talk, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my preferences. Okay. I appreciate it, Kanye. It, it comes it comes back 
to <laughs> the number one best way is just business as usual. But I, I, you and I are going to disagree on this because I think if I can't get a full college football season in the fall, I think I would take a spring football season. I, even at the expense of lower TV ratings for March Madness, I still think I would take a spring football season that guarantees me all 13 games plus the playoffs or the bowl season or whatever. I, I personally don't see how spring is feasible. And the real reason is I, I get that the arguments on the table between the two of us as to which one generates more revenue, that hands down because of the long, the length, the longevity of the season, and the number of fans that pour into stadiums, by its very nature, it will always and forever be football. Doesn't matter if, if you're at the University of Kansas. Doesn't matter if you're at Kentucky. It, it doesn't matter if you're at Marquette. Football is always in the NCAA world, what drives that economy. And without football, the other things start to crumble behind it. I look at March Madness as a huge revenue generator in and of itself, though. And I think you've hit the nail on the head because you've already mentioned money. You've talked about the, the competing for views when it comes to football versus March Madness, the NCAA tournament. How, how does all that sort out? And at this point in time, I, I'm not saying, okay, let's take this idea of spring off the table, Matt. I'm not at all. But I'm saying there, there are options. You've named three of them. I think you could throw a fourth one out onto the table and say that they tried to do what they attempted to do with conference tournaments when it came to basketball and play a couple games with no fans. You know, I was actually going get, to get to that because here – and it's a, leg, a legitimate question. Would you rather have a football game in September with no fans but still a football game in September? If that's a possibility, if they say, hey, we're going to go ahead and kick this thing off. Southwest Missouri State's going to come. Tennessee is going to come. But there's going to be no fans. You can watch it on TV. Would you be a part of that? What, what would you? Or you can wait until mid-February and you can go freeze your tail off and watch it in person. Which would you prefer to have? I don't want to freeze if that's what you're asking me. <laughs> so the the choice is pretty clear from the situations that you've given, but I do think there's a no fans stance that can still be taken. It never really got time to play out and rightfully so with the NBA season, with the NCAA tournament and with conference tournaments. None of those actually got to play out. So we don't know what the effect would have been, but here's, this is what I would, I, this Cause that goes back to the panic and paranoia, by the way, this would be my, my second option. If we didn't have a normal start date and we were looking at having a full season, not just conference games, my option would be to start it in January. And here's why is because the season typically runs three months and then you have championship weekend towards the beginning of December. Am I wrong? All of a sudden, if you're at the beginning of March, March Madness hasn't fully started. We're creeping into conference tournament time, and there isn't any competition for TV ratings for viewers until you start talking about the playoff, the college football playoff. And I believe they can work that out. Man, I'm just thinking how cold it's going to be in January. But to you go love to... it. No, I do you not. Love being in the cold. <laughs> I do not. Hey, we've got a uh, special guest uh, coming up, Joe Pachowski from the Mighty Bruin. He's going to talk to us specifically about Chris Murray and um, and Theo, um, Theo Howard, Oklahoma's new transfers from UCLA. What exactly are the Sooners going to get? One question I ask him is, hey, if there's one thing about Theo Howard Oklahoma fans need to know, what is it? And he's going to answer that for us. So uh, we're going to move into that. Okay, we're going to welcome in a special guest now, uh, Joe Pachowski of the Mighty Bruin. Oklahoma receiving not one, but two former UCLA football players, one in the form of graduate transfer Theo Howard, the other one in just uh, transfer transfer. It's kind of weird, Joe, having just a regular transfer these days uh, in college football. Offensive lineman Chris Murray. Joe, I want to get your opinion on both of these guys. Let's start with Howard, though, because this is a guy who's got uh, really – did he ever reach, in your opinion, his full potential as far as his ceiling uh, there at UCLA? 
Well, this last season was supposed to be his big was supposed to be his big breakout year. Um, I mean, he's been he's been a great receiver the, his entire time at UCLA, but it was just one of those things where there were other guys in the in the mix, and so he you know, he pretty much has solid hands. You throw it to him, he's going to catch it. But uh, it was something where you know he just wasn't getting the number of touches that that you know he deserved. Um, you know, for a while there. Um, we used to have a hashtag free Theo um, because we wanted, we wanted the offensive coaches to just, you know, free him up and let him, let him go. And, and it never quite happened while he was at UCLA. Uh, unfortunately, he's, he's turned around and torn his ACL uh, during what little bit of spring football there was. Um, and that's unfortunate. Hopefully uh, that doesn't keep him from, from playing for you guys at some point. But uh, but he's he's a great pickup. He's he's gonna do well for for Oklahoma. Yeah, the hope is that if he's not good to go by the fall, assuming we get to have football in the fall, uh, that uh, he could apply for a a hardship waiver and and gain that year back. Um, you know, he, he topping speed was kind of one of his things, was it not at UCLA? He, I mean, he he he's a speedster. I mean, he's a you know, I, I had the opportunity actually to meet him to meet him once. At a uh, at an elite eight, uh, elite uh, seven, I think it was, or elite eleven, um, one of those camps that they've got. He was actually out there with a bunch of the a bunch of the UCLA receivers, uh, you know, just catching uh, catching passes for the for the quarterback, and uh, and he was the nicest nicest guy going, you know, real down to earth. Um, but he's a speedster. I love I love him to death. I hate I hated to lose him. Um, but he's another, you know, him and Chris Murray are both guys who, um, for some reason or another, Ship Kelly can't just can't seem to keep it, keep guys in Westwood. Um, it's a big problem for the Bruins. It's been a problem since since Kelly got there, and uh, you know, at first it was, you know, oh, it's just Chip, you know, getting rid of Jim Mora's guys and bringing in his own guys, and except now we're at that point where. Chip Kelly's own guys are leaving. And so it's a problem for, for UCLA and recruiting hasn't gone well for Kelly. And uh, it just makes, makes a bad situation worse in Westwood. Now, is this something that, uh, you know, pressure's on Chip Kelly? Is it finally starting to mount up against him? Or do you think he still has some time? Um, that, that probably depends on a couple of things. It depends on whether or not, A, we have a football season in 2021. B, who the new UCLA athletic director is going to be and see just how bad the financial situation is in the UCLA athletic department. Um, it was public. There's been, it's been in the news uh, this spring because they ran a $19 million deficit last, last fifth, last fiscal year or last school year. And uh, it doesn't look like it's going to get much better this year. And so, especially not now with most with the basketball tournaments canceled and every other sport, you know, that, that was being played just absolutely halted. So it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better, it looks like, financially. Thankfully, <laughs> um, UCLA is going to have a new athletic director come the fall, unless, uh, unless there's some cruel April Fool's joke nobody's told me about yet. Uh, Dan, Dan Guerrero, longtime athletic director at UCLA, longtime hated athletic director at UCLA, is finally has finally announced his retirement. He announced his re- retirement back in the fall, um, but he is going to finish out the school year, and uh, and then make way for a new athletic director uh, for the start of uh, 20, uh, 2020, 2021. Um, and uh, who that's going to be yet, we don't know. It's not particularly promising because Chancellor Gene Block has shown no affinity for the athletic department, and he's gone off and hired. Uh, probably one of the worst possible search firms he could hire to fill the position. Um, so it's not giving Bruin fans a whole lot of hope. Um, but who knows? We'll see what we'll see what happens. Now Oklahoma, you know, we we're fortunate in in knowing a little bit about both of these guys before they uh, even <clears throat> excuse me arrived on campus. Theo Howard had a pretty good game against the Sooners two years ago in Norman. What maybe what's one thing about his game and the way he plays football that that you would say you know what Oklahoma fans here's the best thing about him or here's maybe something you didn't see on film his hands um, I think I think he pretty much I, I think we I think at one point we figured out that 
he had gone pretty much his entire sophomore season without dropping a pass. If he touched it, he caught it. Uh, that's that's going to be that's really the big the big thing about Theo Howard that really really stood out, which is why everybody kind of was was kind of like, hey, great, you know, um, you know, he'll come in and 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 you know, he'll he'll continue doing what he's doing. He'll just get more touches, you know, in his junior year, and it didn't happen. Um, it didn't happen mostly because uh, he was uh, the, the ball was going to was going to uh, to the tight ends. Um, it didn't. It just didn't happen. He, the quarterbacks weren't throwing it to him. Um, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson's a young quarterback. He's made a lot of mistakes. Um, whether he's even going to be the Bruins' starting quarterback when they finally take the field to play some real, real football, is is a question a question mark at this point, uh, because there's a guy who transferred in from uh, from the University of Washington. Uh, there's a there's a great guy coming in as a freshman, uh, Parker McQuarrie coming in. Uh, so he's got he's got two guys to compete against once uh, once they get back out on the playing field. Uh, so I don't know whether or not Dorian's gonna gonna be able to. to remain the Bruins starting quarterback or not. But uh, but there were times when he just couldn't hit the ocean with a beach ball. Uh, that's how bad some of some of some of Dorian's throws were. And uh, so Theo didn't exactly benefit from <laughs> from uh, from uh, having Dorian as quarterback. But it when when somebody throws it to, throws it to Theo, Theo catches it. Listening to Joe uh, Pachowski, our special guest on the Center Nation uh, podcast. Um, Joe, listen, Theo Howard, not only has he arrived in Norman, uh, but he was instrumental in Chris Murray making the decision. Uh, Chris Murray mentioned last week that he talked to Theo, um, got kind of the lowdown on Oklahoma football on some of the things that are going on with this uh, program, some of the things in campus. Obviously, Bill Biedenbow, Oklahoma's offensive line coach, was the biggest player in, in Murray's transfer. But this is a kid that – by all accounts, had the, you know, had stardom written across his chest, a four-star recruit, a freshman All-American, decides after his second year to, to bolt uh, into the transfer portal. What's Oklahoma getting in this kid? Oh, the, ups, the upside is unbelievable with Chris Murray. Um, first off, by the way, your fans should know that the, I, think the, I, think his pref, I think he prefers to go by his full name, which is Chris Stefani Murray. Oh, okay. Um, That's good yeah, to know. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, He's been, you know, the media's called him Chris Murray for a long time, but UCLA always seemed to refer to him as Cristofani, and uh, and I think that's because that may that may be, you know, that may be one of those things where that may be a little bit of parental influence or something in, in there. I, I don't quite know for sure, but they all, you know, whenever they mentioned him, it was always Cristofani Murray, and uh, you may see that 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 may may turn out to be the case at Oklahoma too. Um, it kills me to lose him because he was just coming into his own on the offensive line. He's been a two-year starter for the Bruins. He was one of the best recruits Chip Kelly had picked up since he'd been there. And to lose him is – it's almost like losing the rain. Um, you know, he was going to start again this year. Uh, so again, assuming, assuming there's a season, or when I say this year, I mean the next time we play football. Um, he was going to be one of the he was one of the one of the experienced guys on the offensive line. Now UCLA's got a, got a great line coach of their own in Justin Fry, who came over to, to the Bruins from Boston College, where he did a fantastic job uh, coaching the the, the the Eagles' offensive line. So I don't quite know exactly what happened here as far as why Murray chose to leave UCLA. Um, I know when he was originally recruited, there were some questions. Uh, on on signing day, he turned around and announced for UCLA, and then there was some family drama that never actually came out as far as what was what the situation was. But he did eventually end up in Westwood. Um, it seemed to be that it may there may have been some parental influence. Uh, not trying to say anything negative, uh, just parental influence that may have wanted him to go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, maybe finally after two years, uh, he decided to, to heed the parental advice. And, uh, you know, frankly, once you, once you enter the transfer portal, if you've got a former teammate that, that's landed at one of the best, uh, best programs in the country, you know, you'd be foolish not to talk to him. 
Uh, right. So that totally explains why why uh, why Chris was talking to talking to Theo, uh, and and why he landed landed in Oklahoma. Uh, so, uh, but it kill it kills me to lose both of those guys, because they were two of the best guys we had. Well, he, um, you know, Murray's the, the plan right now is for him to take a red shirt this coming season, barring some sort of miracle waiver by the NCAA, which uh, honestly, I don't see that happening. But I was interested to hear him say that really all he wanted was a chance to compete. And one of the positions that he said that he would, uh, he'd be willing to compete at is, is the center position. Oklahoma is going to lose most likely uh, Creed Humphrey following this next season to go off to the NFL. And Murray seems to be willing to jump in that battle uh, to replace an, an All-American there. Does, does that surprise you or did you know that in his background? No, no, no. He, played, he played some center at UCLA. So, uh, so that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, by he, naturally his natural position is guard, but he was willing, you know, willing and ready to jump in there at center when, need, when needed during this freshman season. Uh, for the Bruins, so uh, so it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, that's that that's the kind of kid this is. I mean, he's he's a fantastic offensive lineman, and man, it just it just kills me to 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 be losing him when he was you know I mean he was one of the few bright spots on on Chip Kelly's team. I mean, Chip Kelly has 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 not set the world on fire when it comes to recruiting. Um, I mean, it's something where where UCLA's blue chip ratio that uh, Bill Connolly is so fond of talking about has actually declined each year under Chip Kelly. Last, you know, not this, not this past February, but February before uh, 2019 recruiting class, Kelly had exactly one blue chip, uh, blue chip recruit. You don't build a national championship contender with one blue chip recruit per class. Now, I think he has three in the 2020 class. All right, so he's averaging, you know, two blue chip recruits out of roughly 20 in each of the each of the last two recruiting classes. That's 10%. That's nowhere near what you need to, to build the championship contender, especially in 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 a conference like the Pac-12, where the Pac-12 South is has a lot of parity between UCLA, USC, Utah. And, and and even the resurgent Arizona State Sun Devils under Herm Edwards, who everybody was laughing at uh, when he was first hired, and, uh, and and Edwards has actually done a better job than Kelly has. Well, Joe, I'm going to ask you the same question about because uh, I I think it's interesting, and I feel like that could be a whole another podcast on the recruiting, particularly there in, in in LA with with USC across town and so forth. Um, I'm always fascinated that because you had such a, a success story with, with Kelly at Oregon. And then ever since his venture into the NFL, he's just not the same guy in, in my opinion. But of course I'm looking at it from, you know, a thousand miles uh, away from it. But I always, I, I find that an interesting uh, because again, you talked about Murray being one of the bright spots and now he's gone. Yeah. I mean, is, is it UC, USC across town? Is it the, the, just the PAC 12 in general? Well, 12 miles separate UCLA and USC. No other, well, there's yeah. no other place in the country where that happens. But, but you've also got Clay Helton coaching across town. So he's not setting the world on True. fire either. True. Um, <laughs> um, when Jim Moore was here, he was consistently producing amazing recruiting classes. The problem was, was that with Mora, that was as good as it got. They never, they, they didn't, they weren't turning around and developing the talent into the, in the contending football team. The best Jim Mora teams were filled with talent that Rick Neuheisel had recruited. Um, Neuheisel, on the other hand, suffered from problem, uh, the problem with Carl Durrell, who was just hired by Colorado. I don't know what the Colorado administration was thinking on that hire. That's all. We could do a whole podcast just on that one alone. Um, but um, Carl Durrell left the UCLA cupboard absolutely 100% bare. Uh, it's the worst four-year period in recruiting in like UCLA history. He took, a, he took over a team that was laden with talent that was three years removed from being a few plays short of playing in the first BCS National Championship game, and he destroyed it. Absolutely destroyed it. And he was a horrible – Darrell was a horrible recruiter left nothing in the cupboard, 
New Heisel came in, struggled with, with Darrell's recruits, finally started to get some of his own own guys in. And the 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 argument that UCLA fans have been having for a few years now is what would have happened if instead of redshirting Brett Hundley, Rick Neuheisel had played Brett Hundley his freshman year. Rick Neuheisel may very well still be the head coach in Westwood if he had done that. Um, but then you go to more and more benefits from benefits from Neuheisel's recruits, has a couple good early recruiting classes of his own, then all of a sudden it just falls off. It just it just just goes off the off the rails and falls off. Everybody cheers uh, when when Mora leaves and they hire when Mora is fired and they hired Kelly. Um, I walked into the Rose Bowl, uh, the first game that Kelly coached. I was a couple minutes late getting in from from the from the golf course tailgate party uh, that we were having that day. And when I come to walk through the tunnel, the first thing I said was, "You know, have we scored 40 points yet?" And this was, we were still in the first quarter. Uh, of course, we hadn't, and we were flat out terrible and, uh, and they lost that game to Cincinnati and Luke Fickle. Um, it was, it was not good. And the rest of the season was not good because Kelly's team went on to, you know, I think they lost their first six uh, that, that you know, last year, uh, that, well, that season. I still want to say last season because it was you know, the season before our most recent one. Um, and then, and then this year was this past season, 2019 wasn't much better. Um, I don't know what Kelly's doing in recruiting, but whatever he's doing isn't working. Uh, he's got a big problem on the defensive side of the ball. Jerry Azanaro, his his offensive coordinator, uh, defensive coordinator, coordinator, excuse me. Um, there's no way this guy should be coaching in Division One this, this come you know this coming year if there is a season. Um, UCLA administration apparently wanted to fire him, yet Chip came supposedly came back and said, "Well, you told me I could hire my coaches when you hired me," and uh, the result was that Azanara was given a one-year contract extension. His contract was up in February. He was given a one-year extension. All of the other assistant coaches were given two-year extensions. So Azanara, the pressure is really on Azanara for sure. Um, Chip Kelly's heat, seat is starting to heat up in Westwood. Well, Joe, uh, it's, it's great talking to you. I, I, I got one question for you. Those two guys heading, heading to Norman, Theo Howard and Chris Stefani Murray, those guys are going to make Chip Kelly's seat even hotter oh, simply yeah. by not being in Weston. Simply by not being there, it makes Chip Kelly's seat hotter because everybody's sitting there wondering. I think it's something like, oh, I don't even remember the number anymore. Uh, the, number of, the number of players – who had eligibility left at UCLA and left the program um, one way or another, either one left to go to the NFL early or transferred or medically retired, medically retired or you name it. I think, I think we're up to a point now where you can actually field an entire football team. And I'm not just talking about 11 guys on each side of the ball. I'm talking more like an entire roster, you know, 65, 70, 70, 75 guys who have left the program under Chip Kelly at this point. And, uh, you know, something's not right. And, and somebody needs to sit down and figure out what the hell's going on in Westwood. And you know, Dan Guerrero is not going to do it. That's obvious at this point. I mean, he's got, he's had one foot out the door for, for a while now. So it's going to fall on the next athletic director in Westwood to take care of that. And uh, like I say, if if uh, if we have football this fall, uh, you, know, you may just find a lot of Bruin fans cheering for the Sooners because those two guys were were were, were big guys for UCLA, and they're both going to be in crimson and crimson and cream. Um, even if even if Murray's going to sit a year, and I do think he's going to sit a year, uh, there just isn't compe- a compelling reason, like you said, for him to for him to uh, not have to sit a year. Yeah, well, we're we're uh, willing willing to welcome any uh, any Bruins fans that want to come on over. We're we're happy to have them. Um, hey, Joe, tell tell our our listeners how they how they can find your content. You've been around the beat for a while. How can they find out where you're writing and tweeting? 
I spent six years as the managing editor over at Bruins Nation, but unfortunately, California, the crazy, the crazy legislature in California has decided that uh, basically independent contractors can't exist in California. They were trying to go after Uber and Lyft drivers, or Uber and Lyft, to get them to hire their drivers. So they passed this bill called AB5, and it's it's hurting a lot of folks in California uh, on top of the pandemic that's going on, but. As a result of that, SB Nation has, has decided that they're not going to use any contractors in California anymore. They terminated all our contracts. So just last week, um, I joined together my fellow my fellow team members at, at the Bruins at Bruins Nation, and we launched a new site called TheMightyBruin.com. Uh, and uh, and so anybody can find us there. Uh, we're on Facebook. We are on Twitter, but our accounts in Twitter jail. Uh, I, I I tried I tried to put our founding date in as the birthday, and uh, Twitter didn't like that. It's been seven days, and we're still trying to get it resolved. But uh, hopefully by the time this this airs, uh, they'll finally get around to, to you know, letting us letting us back out again. And so you can find us on Twitter at the Mighty Bruin, all one word, uh, uh, on Twitter as well. So uh, hopefully that'll get itself resolved here in the next uh, day or two. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thanks so much for your time. All righty. Thanks a lot, Matt. You have, All right, take care, uh, buddy. You have, you have, hopefully we'll have some football this year. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Hey, a big thanks to Joe. Uh, go Make sure you go check out The Mighty Bruin, and hopefully his uh, Twitter account does get out of jail sometime soon. Um, look, he was a fun interview. Um, and, enjoyed uh, Enjoyed talking to him, enjoyed uh, just his perspective on things. Clearly not happy, and I, I think he represents the majority of the UCLA fan base, not happy with what's going on there in the realm of college football. Um, I was intrigued to hear him say that Oklahoma is probably going to pick up some extra West Coast fans this coming season, particularly because of these two guys. Now, I think, I think that I, I, I'm, I've reached a point where I doubt we see Theo Howard on the field this year. Um, but maybe the year after you'll have UCLA fans still following the University of Oklahoma for those two guys. Any thoughts there? Here's the the only thing I'm gonna say in addition to what's already been said is I I kind of feel as though this could be that Alabama Oklahoma connection because of the the common denominator, which was Jalen Hurts for this past year, and we saw a lot of people jump on board. Alabama and Oklahoma. That's a good point. Alabama and Oklahoma never met. And so we don't know what the fallout would have been. We don't know how people would have chosen sites had they met in the college football playoff. But it would be very interesting to see if Oklahoma and, and UCLA had the a schedule, whether that was in a regular season schedule or whether that was somehow meeting up in the postseason, it would be very interesting. That That's the only thing that I am waiting to see how that plays out. You get some of these bigger name transfers from a university. How is their fan base divided? How do they choose sides and what side do they ultimately choose? Yeah, true. And obviously Oklahoma and UCLA are not going to meet in the next couple of seasons. Let's talk about Mike Gundy as we kind of close out this sec, this uh, well, closing out the podcast with our final segment. I've got lots of thoughts on this. I, I'm all all over the board with this. Um, you know, Mike Mike Gundy does the unthinkable. Uh, he tries to he tries to think and say something positive. Mike Gundy's not the um, and Mike Gundy's the guy. He's going to tell you what's on his mind. He doesn't care about political correctness. He never has. And sometimes people really love that and. Sometimes they, they really hate it. This is one of those opportunities when they really hate it. I, I get what Mike Gundy's saying. Hey, we, we've got to get back to work. We have to have a plan in place. At some point, they're going to want us to play football, and we need to be prepared to do that. I get what he's saying. I, I, did he say it the wrong way? I think, yeah. Yeah, he did. But the, the idea that, I, that he has a plan seem to be almost as repulsive to people as as what he said. And which again, there were some words that came out of his mouth that probably shouldn't have come out of his mouth. When he's talking about getting kids back on campus because we got to make money. You know, basically I, I get it. That you, you don't you don't need to say it that way. But he's thinking about, in my opinion, he's thinking about you know stadium personnel. 
He's thinking about vendors. He's thinking about restaurants. He's thinking about people who don't. I saw one guy going after him. You know, Mike Gundy makes $5 million a year, and he's going to talk about needing to make money. He wasn't talking about himself making money. He's talking about the people who don't get paid $5 million a year that are relying on income based off of that football program. Mm -hmm. I get that. Again, he didn't say it the right way, but I get it. But people seem to be almost as repulsed by the idea that Mike Gundy's thinking beyond the COVID crisis in general. And you, you, if you don't believe me, just go to Twitter, type in the words Mike Gundy and see what comes up. Let me just tell you this. As an Oklahoma fan, I hope Lincoln Riley has a plan. I would want Lincoln Riley to have a plan that says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're playing. And even by his own admission, May 1st was the date he set out. But by his own admission, hey, we may not be able to go with May 1st. We may have to push it back. But I, I, he, I guess what my, my, my big frustration here is this. Now, maybe not a frustration, just a, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it because if Mike Gundy had come out, and I said this on Twitter, if Mike Gundy had come out and said, guys, because of this thing, we're probably never going to play football again. I think people would have been less mad over that than someone actually trying to think about when we can play football again. And it's, it's like you can only be super, super, super pessimistic. That's the only line of, that's the only train of thought that's allowed right now. And if it's not pessimistic, then you're just clearly not, not, you know, right. There's no room for optimism right now. And I, I don't understand that. Again, did Mike Gundy say it right? No, he didn't say it right. But I like that he's thinking beyond COVID-19. You know what I'm doing? I'm thinking beyond COVID-19 because I'm talking about when I get to watch college football. So I, I don't get the pessimist only allowed mindset that we're creating. I don't know if it's because of the paranoia. I, I, I like to pretend it's not political, but I, again, go to Twitter and you just go, oh my gosh, I never connected Mike Gundy and Donald Trump in the same sentence because Mike Gundy wants to play football. But there's a lot of people out there that are doing that. I, I don't know. Like I said, as an Oklahoma fan, I, I would hope, and I'm pretty confident, Lincoln Riley has a plan for when he gets to work with guys again. He's already working with Spencer Rattler and Tanner Mordecai, doing some Zoom stuff and some, some kind of pretty cool techie stuff to work with his guys, not being in person. But I guarantee he has a plan based off of when he gets those guys back on campus. And, and Lincoln Riley, a couple of weeks ago, said June 1st. If we don't have these guys back on campus by June 1st, that's going to tell us something. So he didn't get crucified, but I don't know. Your thoughts. When <laughs> I, I want to go back to just something that you had briefly mentioned. And it's the Mike Gundy makes $5 million coaching a football program at a major university in the United States. The truth of the situation, for me at least, when I look at it as an outsider, is that we'll talk about Mike Gundy specifically. Mike Gundy has been hired to complete a, a task, to do a job, and it's something very specific. It just so happens that Mike Gundy's good at what he does, which warrants the price tag that the university's wanting and has agreed to pay him, but at the same time is when I look at guys like Mike Gundy who are planning for the future or even just looking ahead and saying, when we get to return, if football went away, what, what else goes away? That $5 million paycheck goes away because Mike Gundy's no longer necessary yeah, at the university. Made, he's made enough $5 million. Well, that well, here's all I'm saying is that that's, Across the board, people people desire job security, and all of a sudden, I, I'm not saying it's thrown up in the air, Matt. I'm I'm not saying. But that I, you come across as instance. if as if this was motivated by job security for Mike Gundy. I, that's the way I'm. I'm, I'm okay. And I, I don't well, then, I don't agree then, with that. Then let me change my tune here, okay? Because I do agree with you in saying that Mike Gundy bringing up isn't a bad thing. I think the May first start date is very ambitious. 
I agree. I agree 100% I with that. I think it's also unrealistic, which is unfortunate. I wish Mike Gundy instead would have come out and said something along the lines of – and uh, he kind of alluded to this. He kind of hinted at this, but I wish he would have said in, instead of saying we're planning to start on May 1st, said we'd like to start on May yeah, 1st yeah, and, I agree. and we'll make a decision – at that point, if we don't yeah, have I agree. a decision, I see what you're saying. Yeah. if if we can't say we're a full go on on May first, we'll give it two weeks and we'll reevaluate and we'll have a follow up decision on May fifteenth. Now, May fifteenth, I think, is a more realistic date for when we will have a timeline, a more complete timeline here in Oklahoma as to when people can return to normal activities. Would I have preferred him to say that? Absolutely. Did he say that? No. Not even close. And, and, you know, we're sitting in the same boat, and this goes further than just football. When people begin to look at, okay, when can we allow people to return to, to their daily activities? I think you set that May 1st date as a decision date. Mm-hmm. But I think you follow it up with, with a May 15th if we don't have enough information gathered on some kind of a chart somewhere in someone's office. Well, I was just, and I agree. I, I 100% agree with what you said there. I just was taken back at how quickly this thing turned vile. And it was, hey, $5 million a year for eight and five, you know, go win a bowl game, go win a big 12. I mean, just people just, they took the opportunity and said, say, you know, coach, I wish you would have said it like this to you, you know, you're made, you're overpaid at $5 million as it is, you know, if you want to make a statement, then go out and win. I mean, the people just, just turn so bad so fast on this deal. I think we're all pent up right now. I think our, the, 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 the phrase that everyone's starting to pick up with is your quarantine is showing. And I think that's, that provide an outlet easily for, for that. Okay. Let's, um, let's Don't move away. The bear. Right? Yeah. Let's move away from that. Final thing is this. Um, we got just a few seconds we can spend on this. If you are going to stay in your COVID-19 bunker, which clearly we are, we, we took our sports in there with this, and we've had three weeks of watching those sports. So now we're able to come out, and you can grab five sports movies. <laughs> you can only grab five sports movies. What are your five sports movies? Now, I don't know if you have yours ranked, but I have mine ranked in order of five to one, one being the one that I really, really want to have with me. Five being, eh, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it, but if I can't grab it, if I drop it, I'm going back down the stairs. I'm not going back for it. I can rank them. I don't have those ranked, but I can rank them really quick. Give me your number five. Number five, if it's the one that gets left behind and I'm not saddened by it, I'm definitely going with Rudy at this point. Oh, okay. What you don't like, Rudy? No, you don't like the movie at all? No, that's not in my list. That's no. Okay, I thought Rudy, great story, very motivational. And so it was coming to the okay. bunker with me, Matt. Okay, all right, that's good. My, Some, my number five. you need to be an underdog. Okay, my number five, speaking of underdogs, my number five is Major League Two. Major League Two, is, I'd like to have it in the bunker, but if I drop it, I, I'm okay. <laughs> I, uh, my number four, my number four in this deal is Remember the Titans. That's funny right there. Because you got number four too? I, I've got number four is Remember the Titans Okay. as well, which makes my number three – we're we're switching sports now here, and I'm going baseball. All right, on you with Bull Durham. Hey, that's not a bad movie, Kevin Costner. That's let, one of the few Kevin Costner let, movies I like. Let me tell you where where my mindset came from. Is there there have been very few movies, sports movies, that one I've seen, <laughs> and two have spawned different um, colloquialisms mm-hmm. or sayings that we use on a daily basis. Maybe not you and I specifically, but people who have seen these movies use these and there's references to them on, on frequent basis. That's why Bull Durham makes that, that top three for me. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going back to football again for, uh, for number three, I had baseball, number five, football, number four, football, again, number three. And I'm, I'm going with, we are Marshall. Great movie. Sad one. Great movie. You talk about inspirational. Great Is it movie. Because you like Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey is in that yeah. movie. You know, there's and there's a scene. I, I'm not like I. I can admit it. There's a scene in We Are Marshall that just I can't watch it without having with, with dry eyes. I, I just can't do it. And there's the same thing. There's a scene in, in uh, Remember the Titans that just get just gets you right in the feels. It's one of those movies that 
if I can only watch, remember the Titans are Ware Marshall. I'm taking Ware Marshall uh, and, at number three. And what's funny about this whole thing, Matt, I think it has a, a bit of a deeper meaning. Um, just because of family ties. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yourself. I didn't know you had family ties to West Virginia That's for the my, longest my mom, time, yeah, my mom. <laughs> but I'm in the same boat. So you've given number three, what's your number two? Number two is major league. Great movie. I <laughs> so love you're going to, you're almost, oh, just, yeah. you're going to take a series. No, I'm not a, taking the trilogy. Original yeah. and a sequel. I'm not taking the trilogy because major league three back to the minors doesn't deserve to be in the bunker. It deserves somewhere with Rudy, off in the wow. in the in the dust shelf. Wow. But I am taking Major League as number wow. two. If I'm putting number two, I'm sticking with baseball for the remainder of, of my just, just to give you a heads up. I am not. Okay. I did I that was one movie. I think in my entire lifetime I've owned three movies on DVD. That happened to be one of them. And okay. it's because I got it for free. <laughs> Here's my number two was a league of their own. There's no crying in baseball. Exactly. All See right. what I'm saying? Okay. Tom Hanks. I mean, everybody watched that movie for Madonna, but Tom Hanks was in there too. I watched it for Rosie O'Donnell. No, you didn't. <laughs> okay, you're number you one. Didn't. My number one then, and this isn't easy, ultimate classic for me. I grew up watching this movie, The Sandlot. Yes. That's my number one as well. <laughs> no, it's yes, not. Yes, 100%. The no, same lot. That's funny. Number one. Hey, that's thanks funny. so much for being a part of the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. You can drop a comment at heartland-sports.com in our comments section. Uh, pick us up on iTunes, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, basically anywhere you can get podcasts, you can find us. Again, thanks so much. Stay safe. Uh, take care and enjoy your time with your family. Boomer Sooner, everybody.